God with us, revealed to us in the face of Jesus. Just as you revealed yourself in a new way to the three holy apostles, Lord, reveal yourself to us by your spirit, through your word. This morning we pray. It's in your name, Lord Christ, that we ask it. Amen. Please go ahead and be seated. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Today the church marks the feast of the transfiguration. We do so on this final Sunday before the beginning of Lent each year. And we do so on this particular Sunday for two reasons. First, because this is the final Sunday of Epiphany Tide, that season in which we have been celebrating the various revelations, epiphanies of Christ to the world. On Epiphany Sunday, the church celebrates the revelation of Jesus to the nations represented by the Magi, who recognized in their ancient Zoroastrian texts the prophecy of a new king in Judah when they discerned his star. Again, as representatives of the nations, not just the Jewish people, receiving the revelation of Christ. The second Sunday of Epiphany, we always celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River by John the Forerunner, in which we we hear the story retold of of the uh, voice of the Father being heard once again, this is my beloved, or you are my beloved son, rather. And the, the Spirit alighting upon Jesus in the form of a dove. These revelations of Christ's divine sonship. Likewise, traditionally, on February 2nd, the church also commemorates the presentation of Jesus in the temple, where again he's revealed as two saints, Simeon and, uh, and Anna, prophesy about his divinity on that event. And so we conclude this season of celebrating all of these epiphanies, these revelations of Christ as Savior to the nations recounted in the Gospels. We finish it up, we we bookend it with this final gospel account of a final epiphany as the three holy apostles uh, receive a vision of Christ's unstained, undiminished deity and again the Father's voice declaring Jesus as his Son. St. Luke says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered And his clothing became dazzling white. For a brief moment, Peter, James, John see Jesus with unveiled eyes. He's not only, as he is rather, not only in his humanity, but also in the fullness of his divinity. For a brief moment, they experience the complete revelation of the divine Son of the living God incarnate as the man Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Here's a fitting bookend to this season of epiphanies. But secondly, we celebrate this transfiguration on the final 
Sunday of Epiphany Tide because of what it represents in the life and ministry of Jesus. A final preparation for his great work of atoning self-sacrifice for the redemption of the world. And we celebrate it on this day because of how it coincides with our work of preparation, which we launch into later this week, the Lenten journey that will lead us to Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Before this chapter closes, we read that Jesus, having come down from the mountain, set his face toward Jerusalem, set his face like flint, it says, toward Jerusalem. The meaning of those words leads us to understand that this final epiphany experience was a gift of the Father to Jesus to prepare him for his atoning work of death and resurrection. As an epiphany text, we often jump to its significance as a revelation to the apostles and by extension to us. But it is first and foremost a reaffirming revelation To Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. A preparation for what he was about to endure. That's what was meant when we read that two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, I really fail to understand why most English translations persist in translating that word as his departure. Anybody who's following along in your own Bible, do you have a footnote associated with that word departure? You should. In my Bible, it says Exodus in the original Greek. Exodus in the original Greek. What Luke says quite literally is that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus in the cloud and spoke to him about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now that gives it quite a different tone, doesn't it? I have no idea why English translators persist in using that more general sense of departure especially since Luke uses a different word for departure when he talks about those two figures departing from Jesus' presence later in the same paragraph. To say that these two men were there to speak with him about his departure makes it sound like a confirmation email you get from Expedia. You know, you've got an upcoming trip. Here are the details. Moses and Elijah were not there to go over his booking. You know, we've got you staying two nights, three days in Joseph's tomb, and then 40 days later, we've got your ascension. No, most interpreters agree that Luke is recording this story with precision, and what these three were discussing was not uh, Jesus's, you know, flight at the ascension, but his work of exodus, his Passover event. Jesus, the Lamb of God, being sacrificed in order to take away the sins of the world, in order to lead humanity in a new exodus out of bondage. This is why Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem just after this mountaintop meeting. Moses and Elijah have come to discuss, to encourage, to bring the message, it is time. It is time for the new exodus. It is time to deliver humanity from their bondage. But why these two? God shows up on the scene and speaks through the cloud. 
Why doesn't he just tell Jesus, you are my son, my beloved, it's time for you to do your work? There's a significance to this act of sending Moses and Elijah first. First, it reroutes Jesus in the great work that God has been doing throughout the entirety of history. Moses and Elijah are representatives of all the law and the prophets, what we in shorthand today would just refer to as the Old Testament. They're representative figures of the entirety of the Old Testament. St. Matthew records for us Jesus' teaching regarding the Old Testament in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 5. He says this in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. These two are sent to Jesus to comfort and assure him that he is about to do this final work of accomplishing all that God's plan has been pointing to. And of course, the fact that the terrified apostles were also witnesses to the event was meant to reinforce this fact to them as well. Well, Likewise, we read, A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they, the apostles, were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Again, I'm left scratching my head saying, Come on, guys, why? Why do you punt and call this his departure? This is strong Exodus imagery. You remember when God led his people out of bondage in Egypt, he went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That cloud literally stood between them and the Egyptian army at the the Red Sea so that when Pharaoh's army is thrown into confusion, Pharaoh exclaims, let's escape because God himself is fighting for them in the form of that cloud. An enveloping cloud is not just a general symbol of divine revelation of God somehow coming down. This is Exodus language. It shows up again when we read uh, what, what we just read in the Old Testament as well about Moses going into the tent of meeting. And when he would go into the tent of meeting, the cloud would descend and Moses would meet with God face to face there. So when we encounter it here in Luke's account, the implications should be clear. The divine presence comes and descends upon the mountain in a pillar of cloud, just as he did throughout the Exodus account. Here the Father is calling and affirming Jesus as he prepares. It's time. It's time for Jesus remaining rooted in his eternal sonship and the unfailing love of the Father to carry out the Passover, the Exodus work he came to accomplish, to carry the divine presence, no longer in the form of a cloud, but in the form of Jesus himself. Time to carry that presence to Jerusalem in order to once again fight for his people, to deliver them from bondage. And so Jesus sets his face and embarks on his great work of Passover sacrifice and Exodus redemption. 
And brothers and sisters, this very week, the Holy Church invites us too to set our faces toward Jerusalem. Mother Church invites us once again to prepare to celebrate the redeeming Passover events that have secured our exodus, our deliverance from slavery, the slavery of our self-inflicted bondage to our appetites, our compulsions, our shame, our fear. And as such, this event of the transfiguration provides us with a final preparation the final preparations we need before we make this journey toward Jerusalem with our Lord. First, like Jesus, we too are are fitted, prepared, and comforted for our own exodus in the wilderness of Lent by being once again rooted in the eternal plan of God revealed in the perfect word of God. The law and the prophets fulfilled in and by Jesus, have been given to us in order to equip us for every good work in faith and godliness. We receive, as did the ancient people of God, the eternal truths of this book as the gold standard of life and faith. And we hear with the three apostles the word of the Father, what Jesus himself has said, what he has spoken, stands at the apex, the summit of God's revelation. The words, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, they're meant for us as well. Listen to the voice of Jesus as he speaks through his word, not just through the four canonical gospels and and John, but throughout the book. Jesus speaks. Listen for his voice. It's this voice that will lead us out of bondage to true, to lasting freedom. But experiencing the glory of the transfigured and resurrected and ascended Christ is more than a a mere didactic exchange of learning some content from a book. The second preparation we receive is, in fact, Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Some pretty crazy stuff happened high on that mountain that day. But at the center of it all was Jesus. Jesus drew away with the apostles to pray. As he was praying, Jesus was transfigured revealing as much of his preeminent glory as the apostles could receive. Jesus was affirmed, encouraged, and prepared by the ancient holy prophets. Jesus was the center of the Father's message. This is my Son, my chosen. Listen to him. It was Jesus alone who remained when the rest of the scene fades away. And it was Jesus who walked with the apostles back down the mountain to Jerusalem. The life of faith is all about Jesus. Not just the ancient words of God, not just his teachings or his miracles, but Jesus himself. And Jesus himself still offers himself to us, his people. 
week in and week out, he offers himself in the body and blood of his table. And he invites us to be united with him in communion. By his spirit, he offers his continued presence with us and within us. The full presence of God. And he wants to remain present with his people. By his spirit, as we engage with the Exodus journey, he longs to lead us on. And so, and this is my final point. This Exodus work of Christ within us is designed by God to lead us to one place. The experience of transformation. That's what this Lenten journey that we're about to engage with this week, that's what it's all about. That is what Jesus experienced upon the mountain in preparation for his journey toward Jerusalem. Yes, it was an epiphany revelation to the apostles of the glory that Christ already had from before time and creation, but it was also a preview of his resurrection glory his ascension glory, his eternal reign at the right hand of the Father, glory, all in the space of a few moments. No wonder they were terrified and didn't know what to say. But here is the wildest part of the entire story. It's what St. Paul said in our epistle reading this morning. In 2 Corinthians where he said, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just as the three apostles beheld the glory of the Lord on that mountain, by His Spirit, the Lord has privileged us as the people of God to behold that same glory. Not with veiled hearts as the people of the Old Covenant did and do, but with unveiled faces. And beholding His glory, we are granted to be transformed until we share in that glory. Until we too are changed from one degree of glory into another. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I am hungry for transformation. Last night I was on my face, on my knees, weeping before the Lord, hungry for transformation. For myself, for you, people of God. For this church, for our town, for our country, for our world. Longing for transformation. Do you long for transformation? Friends, I don't care this Lent if you eat all the chocolate in the world. I don't care if you feast and drink and completely disregard the traditional fasts of the season of Lent. I don't care how much you do or don't know about theology or church history or even the text of the scripture. What I care at the end of the day is that you embrace Lent as a journey of learning to hunger to be transformed. It's a journey of longing. All of those various fasts and disciplines, they're important to me, don't get me wrong, because they are Mother Church's way of leading us and guiding us and getting us there. 
the experience of lack, of physical hunger even. It's meant to sharpen that longing. It's meant to sharpen that hunger for transformation. Reading and inwardly digesting the scriptures. It's not meant to feed our minds. It's meant to feed our hunger. At its core, we are about to embark on a season of longing. Longing to be transformed from glory into glory. Do you want that? Do you, like me, recognize how much you need that? I want it for you. I want it for me. And my want for us is nothing compared to what the Lord of life desires for us. And his hunger for our transformation. So here as we set our faces toward that journey, we are given this gift of hope. This is what transformation looks like. This is what we celebrate, this final epiphany before we launch into our Exodus journey. This is what fuels our hope. This is what transformation looks like. Just as the Father worked this transfiguration in Jesus, Jesus wants to work a transfiguration in you and in me. This is what this work can and will yield in us if we stick with it, if we engage in it expectantly, if we embrace the gifts Christ offers us, and if we're willing to release ourselves to the care and keeping of his spirit to do in us what he longs to do. We too can be not only delivered from bondage, but transformed, transfigured into the glorious, eternal, immortal beings God intended for us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I invite you on Wednesday we will officially invite you to the observance of a holy Lent. But today, I invite you, embrace the gifts that Christ has given us to prepare for the journey. And hunger and thirst. Let's pray.